Hello and welcome to the Guns on Pegs podcast. My name is George Brown and this episode I am joined by my colleague Digby Taylor. I am the editor at Guns on Pegs. Digby is the managing director of Guns on Pegs. Digby, this is a little bit of a different setting from our usual podcast recordings. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever really uh, done a, I, I don't think I could call it a day's work, but um, done any work with quite such a stunning view. Yeah, uh, it's um, we're on location, let's put it like that. Um, but to, to get a better idea about where we are and maybe why, perhaps you should introduce our guest. Yeah, thanks, George. So today we are joined by Matt Hollington, who um, uh, co- uh, well founded and um, runs Atlas Sporting, an international uh, game shooting, fishing and hunting agency. Um, I think it's fair to say that if you're after something a little bit more niche or adventurous, um, uh, Matt is certainly the person to go to. Uh, I've, we've been chatting over the last few days about trips he's got coming up. Hopefully he'll tell us a bit more about that in a minute. But um, yeah, Matt Hollington, welcome. Um, t- do you want to Tell us where we are and uh, maybe describe the backdrop to our listeners. Yeah, no problem. Um, thank you very much for having me. So we are currently sat at Widian, um, which is our shoot in the Atlas Mountains in Morocco. Um, we're on the sixth floor of the hotel overlooking the lake and uh, some of the estate. Um, I mean, it's really hard to explain, but there's um, yeah, we've got a mosque. Um, we've got a... 10,000 hectare, uh, sorry, a 1,000 hectare lake. Um, got some of our partridge drives in the background. Uh, I mean, it is an absolutely incredible setting, and it's not one that, uh, a view that you might typically associate with shooting. But um, some gentlemen have just arrived, so I think now is a good moment to uh, move on to a, a listener favourite segment, which is the What's That You're Drinking segment. And uh, we've got something a bit special. So, Matt, what is that? Your, your, oh, sorry, George, I've stolen your thunder. <laughs> <laughs> Am I allowed to do that? Yeah, so w- w- what you should be able to hear right now is the sound of Moroccan tea being poured into our glasses in front of us. Matt, this is pretty traditional, right? Yeah, so um, tea is, is it's obviously a predominantly Muslim country, so they drink very little alcohol, um, or not a lot at all, really. Um, and... Uh, Tea is their equivalent of whiskey. Um, <laughs> it's um, it's fantastic. Usually consumed with an awful lot of sugar, um, but it's delicious. I just put mine down because it's incredibly hot. Um, but <laughs> we've also got some uh, more traditional podcast drinks with us, we might say. So what have we got uh, in the ice bucket there? Uh, so there is one company in Morocco that brews beer. Um, and they're called Casablanca, and we have um, a few bottles for you to try. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we've had one or two since we arrived a few days ago, and it's um, it's pretty good stuff. Yeah, I mean, for, for a for a country that consumes very little alcohol, they make amazing wine and beer. Um, have you tried that tea yet, George? What this one's particularly, or that tastes an awful lot like Pims. Do you think? <laughs> Just have a sip. <laughs> have a go. <laughs> I mean, they think they knew we, you, they knew we were coming. Yeah. <laughs> Warm pims. It's absolutely delicious. It's delicious. It is the mint, isn't it, that yeah. makes it pimsy? Oh, exactly. Yeah. There we go. And it's really, really good. And very refreshing. You, uh, people often are surprised that hot tea is a refreshing drink, aren't they? But um, it's really, really good. I think for, yeah, well, Sally, those, well, you, the listeners can't see us, but 
We're all looking a little pink from the sun today. It's been a, <laughs> a hot day sat by the pool. It's um, definitely the first Guns on Pegs podcast recorded in swimming shorts. <laughs> I mean, you guys work from home, so I don't believe that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, the reason we are out here in Morocco is that Matt very kindly uh, organized a bit of a press trip. Um, and we've been uh, having a look and, and taking part in some of the activities that uh, are available at Widian. Um So Diggers, why don't you give us a little brief overview of how yesterday began? Yes, we, came, we arrived on Thursday. I mean, first thing to say, it, well, yeah arrived in the dark in the, into the middle of nowhere what it felt like and um woke up the next morning to see just well yeah the view that we've mentioned i mean if for some of our listeners would have been to the atlas mountains it is sheer sheer mountains basically um and there's this just huge lake reservoir so you know well you many you'll know what i mean by when you wake up in a place which you, you arrived at at night you're not quite sure what to expect Woke up the next morning, saw the saw the view, and just thought, "This is absolutely perfect shooting country." Oh, it's pretty steep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to say the very least. Um, so yeah, we, we we came out yesterday. Then we were out um, shooting driven ball, which is um, a, a new experience for me. And uh, yeah, we we drove twenty twenty odd minutes into the Atlas Mountains, um, to even more rural, past well. 20 minutes on a dirt track essentially in, into the middle of nowhere into the bush um, and had a fantastic day on the mountain shooting driven ball yeah and uh, some people might be thinking that um, uh, that that wild boar is a pretty unusual quarry species for a predominantly Muslim country um, so Matt maybe you can give a little background on why driven boar shooting here is particularly important for the local community Okay, so um, the, the, the pigs are a real issue. Uh, in countries where a lot of pork is consumed, um, hunters tend to hunt a lot of boar. But in predominantly Muslim countries, such as Morocco and Turkey, um, they're kind of left to their own devices. Uh, the populations expand very rapidly, and you get a lot of issues in small villages where pigs are you know, savaging pets and farm animals. Um, destroying crops um, so the Moroccans have found that organizing trips for international hunters um, really helps with keeping the numbers down uh, and brings a little bit of money into rural economy as well and, and a lot of the locals here are subsistence farmers we were, our driver was telling us yesterday so you know when it's not just a, a job farming but it's actually your means of supporting your family keeping on top of these boar is particularly important, right? Yeah, completely. So um, you'll find that you get a bit of a cluster of farms, each one produces something different, and then they all work together um, to offer their produce to, to each other um, in a really simple um, sort of bartering relationship. Yeah. And Digby, I think we both agreed that yesterday was one of the more unique experiences we've had. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, in our other podcast Shoot Hub News, we do a slot called the beating noise of the of the episode or be Shoot Hub beating noise of the week. Um, I don't think I've ever heard quite such a noise from a, a beating line in my life. Uh, George, you're much better with words than I am. Uh, why don't you explain a little bit about the experience or the at least the 
the feeling of the beating line advancing from what felt like sort of miles and miles away. Well, yeah, so I think we, we mustn't skip ahead too quickly because Digby's got us as far as the where we left the vehicles and then we um, where where there were a huge number of people. I think there were I think we were told there were 60 beaters. Is that about right? Yeah, that's correct. So a normal a normal day for for driven pigs is uh, about 60 beaters. And there were a huge number of dogs of indeterminate breed. I think it's the polite way of saying it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we saw some procreation happening. We saw how the indeterminate breeds had come, come about. Um, and then we all uh, set off up the hillside. Um, some of the party on uh, donkeys, others on mules, and others on foot. Is that, a normal, is that normal or was that laid on specially for, for us? this time around that's that's completely normal so um what what tends to happen is you um the the beating team generally come from a local village there's five villages that sit over the estate um and each of them sort of has their own patch um when there's a shoot day on all of the locals come out and the dogs tend to follow because it's a exciting thing to to go to see um and they get uh, to chase some pigs so they'll uh that they'll all go out and then the uh, donkeys and mules uh, are always there. They're very useful for getting pigs in and out of the... Um, out ah, of the so they're the yeah. equivalent of a Highland hill pony. Yeah, so you could call them, a, a, I don't know, a Barbary hill pony. Really <laughs> <good>. <laughs> I like that, yeah, very good. Um, so we, we made our way up the hill, um, and uh, we were then placed in our... Do we call them hides? Is that the right term? Stands? I would say stand or, or peg. Yeah, um, okay. Um, but they're, they're, you're not sort of completely exposed. You've got a bit no, of they, a... They look like they've been cut out specifically for us. So how do, uh, how do they go about deciding where to put the pegs? Um, so it's obviously, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of hills and slopes and gullies. Um, we look at the estate on a map and go, if we push pigs this way, they're going to go down that valley. Um, and then strategically place guns um, depending on the wind direction and uh, and, and where um, we're starting our beating line. Yeah, and so the, so the stand has got a kind of brush sort of, I guess, wall in front of it. Um, and uh, so we're placed on our stands and um, you, could, you, you know things have begun when you can hear the dogs yapping in the distance. That was the first thing I picked up. Although um, a, a lot of chat in Arabic over the um, the walkie-talkies beforehand, and then suddenly it all goes quiet. The 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 loader stood with you, puts his headphones into his walkie-talkie, and says, you know, points and says to the to the those of us, you know, standing round. Um, yeah. So that's quite a, a familiar thing if you're um, like, like involved in, in pig shooting anywhere in the world. Um, it's kind of all go, and then you everyone getting into position. And then it just goes quiet when you sort of know the action's about to happen and the beating line is starting. Um, and the first indication normally that there's going to be pigs coming your way is noisy dogs or beaters really starting to shout. And so the, the drive that we were on yesterday, um, I clocked it at about an hour and a half running time. Um, and it, the, the beaters come from a, a long way back. What kind of area are they bringing in? Um, I couldn't tell you in acres, but they are walking. Uh, so they start walking way before the drive even starts. They're, you know, 
like miles two, back. Three, two, three, four kilometers away. Goodness me. Um, and, and the other thing I noticed is we were all there in our, you know, smart hunting boots. Um, a lot of those chaps were not in hunting boots. They were in uh, some of them. I think I saw a bloke in flip flops. Yeah. So, so these guys that, you know, they spend their entire life in the Atlas Mountains. It's very um, like natural for them just to sort of go out in shorts or you know, flip flops um, and spend a day sort of working. Um, bouldering for them is like uh, walking down tarmac on a high street for us probably <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. i mean we've got to be clear that this is rough country right it's rocky the the shrub is thorny um it, it, we'd had a bit of rain hadn't we so actually it was quite slippery underfoot as well so the, these guys are pretty impressive yeah it's been completely untouched you know there's areas of the, the mountains that might get you know a person visit them once every three years if that yeah amazing and so um the the weight on the stand um you are tense the whole time because you know that at any moment a pig could come out of that scrub out of that tree line and then you're on so you never relax but the last 10 or 15 minutes is was one of the the most incredible sounds i think i've ever heard um that got my heart going like nothing on earth I, and actually i never even saw a pig but, Digby, I think you were in the action a bit. I, yeah, I was. I mean, they come from four or five kilometers away. You can hear them for the whole time, all the, the beaters, because uh, the wind was coming towards us. Um, and it was incredibly tricky to judge distance. So for the whole hour and a half, I thought they were nearly on us, basically. Um, heart absolutely pumping. And then the noise got louder and louder and louder. And by the end, it was, you know, near deafening in terms of the and then uh, there were some wild donkeys on the hill and uh, they sit, came patting through the undergrowth and so our guide told us to stay low um, and get ready for something to happen and then we saw some donkeys crashing through so it was like you know that your heart rate rose and then dropped again and you thought and then a dog came through and we saw some rusting in the background again heart rate rose and then dropped again and then did you, you get any cows come through? <laughs> I had I had about four or five cows come past. Did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we probably heard them clattering. Um, and then, yeah, the last 10 minutes, as George said, uh, suddenly um, our loader was telling us to be extra aware, extra alert. Um, and then again, heard some clattering coming through. And through came a sow followed with some followers. Um, and due to the time of year, we, we weren't shooting the sows for obvious reasons. Um, and then it was it was a case of you had to be pretty quick because there's only a two or three, well, two or three second window where these pigs are coming careering through that you then had to decide whether that's a sow or a boar um, and shoot it or not shoot it. So the first, first came through the sow followed, with the pig, followed by the piglets, let, let that one go, followed by another sow with some piglets, followed by, which we also let go, followed by um, uh, a, a lone sow it turned out to be um, with no piglets. Um, it was a barren sow. Um, and the guy said, shoot it, shoot it. And then I let off a couple of shots. And do, do you <laughs> think you made contact? Um, it's very hard to tell because, I, to, be, to be honest with you, no. I didn't think I did. Um, I thought I missed it clean. I, um, Andy Crow, who's with us on the trip, was stood to my left, probably 45 degrees behind me, probably 30, 40 yards away. So it was bang, bang, miss, miss, bother, bang, bang, bother. Something George Something and I my know children, my about. children know about, yep. Um, and then Andy Crow stood behind us. 30 seconds later, we heard bang, and then another shot. Um, and uh, 
um, over the radio came through that Andy had shot it. Um, although he said that it had definitely been hit. There are three bullet holes in the pig um, by the time it got to him. I, th I think, Matt, well, you have to say this, they set up these uh, pegs so that pigs don't make it through. Is that right? Yeah, so the, um, the, the, the main reason yeah, that, that, we, that we shoot them out here is for pest control, so we need to get numbers. Um, the way the drives are laid out uh, is that if a pig makes it past one gun, they are then sort of in line for another one. And Matt, I think you probably had the closest encounter yesterday. Do you want to just talk us through that? I mean, I don't mean to embarrass you on, on the podcast, but it, it would feels like it's a story that needs to be told. Yeah, I'm just going to jump straight in and say that I missed a two-yard pig. <laughs> <laughs> how, uh, how, what was the heart rate like when that two-yard pig came past? It was apparently it's a big boar, wasn't it? Uh, no, it wasn't particularly big, but I did look at it square in the eyes, and I think it laughed at me as it ran away. Um, yeah, no, my heart was in my mouth the entire time. And was it crossing in front or? Yeah, very quickly. It sort of quartered towards me and then danced off into the bushes without stopping. And you were telling me that, that for you, boar shooting is like you'd give everything else up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially out here. It's, there's no adrenaline rush like it. And I think the other thing that we've not mentioned so far is that um, due to the firearms laws here in Morocco, uh, we're not using rifles. Correct. So um, rifles are completely banned. Uh, everything is done with shotguns and slugs. So we use rifled slugs, which are incredibly effective at the close ranges that we shoot at. Um, yeah, they're being hit with a golf ball size 32 gram lump of lead. Um, they tend to drop quite quickly. And when you say close range, I mean, my, the, the area in front of my stand, uh, I measure things in cricket pitches. I would say that the tree line was about a cricket pitch away. So, you know, even if you were to shoot the second it was on you, that's a 20-yard shot. But if it's in any way coming towards you, it's inside 20 yards. Absolutely, yeah. So, so all of them are, are, are close. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. We um, basically cut areas um, where the pigs have to cross in order to get to safety. Um, and it makes for very effective like drive layout. It was amazing. I mean, the preparation that went into it, every single peg had been cut out from the brush. Um, with some what looked like rides cut out, or were they natural highways for the pigs? Uh, yeah, so they would have been cut out sort of over a few years. They're also mountain paths that the locals use for moving around. Um, and, and they've got their livestock out here making paths, and, um, exactly, and I yeah. guess the pigs themselves are making their own game tra game trails and that kind of thing as well, aren't they? Yeah, so the, the entire estate's crisscrossed with lots of very tight tracks that the, uh, the pigs used to move around. Um, and the keeping team here spent a lot of time out sort of monitoring numbers and working out where they are and how best to sort of add to those tracks or block them off if they need to. It's absolutely amazing, an amazing experience. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, but uh, I think we need to talk about, um, well, maybe the rest of I yesterday. I need a beer, George. I, that's a, crack that's a, beer. a very good idea. Go for it. Right, now we've got that sorted. So th that was all over, what was it, two o'clock we came down, back down the hill? Um, mm. And then we had a, a pretty amazing lunch. Uh, again, a, a very traditional, uh, I mean, not a traditional shoot lunch in the sense that uh, people listening back home might be thinking, but just tell us a little bit about what we had uh, and where we had it. So um, the shoot set up a, a traditional Berber tent, and um, we had uh, tagine and uh, 
Tangier uh, yesterday, which are two sort of very traditional Moroccan dishes. Um, the first one is sort of uh, lots of uh, vegetables um, with chicken cooked over a fire for a very long time uh, in a closed pot. And the second one is um, very similar, usually with um, either uh, beef or lamb um, cooked in a um, in a jar. Um, kind of looks like hours. an amphora, like a Roman olive oil pot. Yeah. Or yeah. a Greek pot. And then it's cooked for a very long time. And then when they're ready to serve, it's poured out on a, a big platter in front of you. Um, With great ceremony as well. Oh, yeah. There's lots of cheering and... Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and clapping. And they take their hospitality very seriously, don't they? It was, it was fantastic. Yeah, so there's a lot of people involved, um, and they all like to be there when things are served. So. And and the quantity as well. I mean, huge quantities of food. And you were telling me that um, you know anything that uh, doesn't get consumed by the, the shooting party will be shared out amongst all the beaters and uh, that kind of thing as well. Absolutely, yeah. So they're, um, they're very big on using everything up. So if things aren't eaten, they're either passed on to yeah, the beaters or yeah, uh, or shoot staff. Um, if they don't finish it, then it goes off to the, the local houses and villages. Um, and if they don't touch it, it's fed to their dogs. Yeah. Um, so that was, uh, I mean, that was an amazing morning and an incredible lunch. Um, and from there, um, we were whisked off in a, a convoy of four by fours. We had a gold Land Cruiser. <laughs> that was quite a vibe. Um, I want one. <laughs> and I think it had been raised up as well, hadn't it? Yeah, it I think raised up with scaffolding kit. poles, not springs. <laughs> <laughs> so we were whisked off up to the top of the hill to a lodge that's part of the hotel. Correct. So the owner of the the hotel um, built a private re- residence um, up the hill. And uh, it's quite an impressive building. And it's let for, well, we use it for shoot days. And then in the summer, it's used for uh, sort of like people that want to be away from everything who just come on holiday and, uh, and other events. So it's a huge space. Yeah, we've got a helipad up there. Um, there's parking for about 30 cars. And the lodge itself has amazing views over the lake. Yeah, really incredible views. And, and we were up there to shoot some clays on the helipad, which, again, that's quite a flex, I think. Yeah, there's not many places um, that... You, you could do that. Um, you know, stood in the middle of a helipad shooting uh, rabbits or um, or you know, long crosses with a huge um, mountain range in the distance over a lake. Yeah. Um, especially when you can see, you know, the, 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 the villages below that you'd never reach, but, you know, the, they're there. Um, and, and I think, although it was, it, I don't suppose it even compares, it does give a bit of a, a flavour of what it's like to come and do the other sporting activity that you organise out here, which is driven partridge shooting tell us a bit about that because we obviously it's not the right time of year for us to have a go at that but give us a bit of a a taste of what it's like so um between october and march we run partridge shooting trips um they're run in the same format that you'd expect in the uk uh the main well and only real difference is you're in the atlas mountains uh, and we're shooting barbary partridge which is slightly bigger than a red leg Um, are they the same species or subspecies or so they're, they're very similar. Um, they're still a partridge and they're still from the, the, the pheasant family. Um, but uh, they are bigger um, and they have a slightly different uh, sort of like social style. So they, they, they're quite solitary. They don't cover you up in the same way that you get a partridge. Okay. Um, and so the, the partridge shooting takes place in these hills we're looking at now? 
Correct, yeah. So uh, there's what we've got. We've got two beats here. One is where we shot ball yesterday, and the other one is around the lodge, which you would have seen. Um, and the estate as a whole is 50,000 hectares. Um, a majority of that is wild with a lot of wild birds that we shoot walked up on, on small driven days. And then we have what we would call the commercial driven shoot um, where we run slightly larger days. Um, and how does that compare to shooting in the UK? Would you would the beating team drive them in a similar way? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the beating team you know, starts at the, 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 the back of a drive um, and work their way through to the gun line in exactly the same way. Um, yeah, all of our birds have been put down in July and August, and they're um yeah. That was something I was going to ask. One of the things we often talk about when it comes to Spain, which I guess is, um, I, uh, we've been chatting. I think Morocco is probably 15 years behind Spain in terms of a destination for British guns. Um, we often talk about Spain, and the conversation of topping up or releasing from crates comes up all the time. Is that something that happens here? Um, how do how do the release how does the estate release their birds and how does that produce the kind of shooting that you know you guys enjoy so i can't comment on the other shoots in morocco um but here um we're working exactly the same way that was one of our biggest stipulations when we started working here that birds are reared and released in the same way that you would expect in the uk so we have our sheds um birds come as chicks they're reared and let loose um they mix with our wild stock. There's also a portion. Um, we've got a lot of wild birds here. So they will add chicks and eggs to nests when they find them as well. Because a oh, wild wow. mother is better. That's such a good idea. Um, it is far better at looking after um, a brood than, than just letting them loose in the hills. Seriously, hands on. How, I mean, the keepering yeah. team must be... So well, we're quite lucky in that there's the keepering team have got a lot of time. Um, and they're, they're always out. So... Yeah, but when they're farming this sort of ground, they're um, yeah, they're, they're quite well suited to finding nests, adding a few eggs, and then just leaving them. It's not a hard job once it's done. Um, and when they and it struck me, we, our driver again yesterday was telling us that there's wolves in them their hills. So um, predator control must be an interesting. Supposed to be shoot a lot of pigs. Snakes are an issue, um, especially with young birds. Uh, they like to trap snakes, which is is quite exciting. Um, and uh, pigs, obviously. Wolves, not so much. So there's the Moroccan uh, or African golden wolf, which is a bit more like a jackal. Um, they're very few and far between and spooked quite easily. So they tend to sort of Steer spend more time like, deeper in the hills. So Occasion we've got stoats, you've got snakes. We've got foxes. <laughs> you've got golden African wolf. wolves. <laughs> <laughs> what a place. Yeah, it's... Um, it's crazy when you see this stuff sort of like you turn up on a shoot day it's a little bit uh, a bit surreal uh, we've got foxes as well um, but they get hammered pretty hard as with most shoots now a question for me and George the topography here is truly spectacular I mean sheer yeah what I said sheer cliffs essentially how on earth do you hit any of the birds <laughs> <laughs> um, so there is a lot of missing that goes on as, as ever yeah, as ever. Um, and it's just tr strategically placing guns. So um, you tend to get a bit of a, an idea of how a team will perform after the first drive. And we could peg them up and down the hill depending on their ability. So for an, for an average team then, what kind of yardage are we looking at? Are we talking 40, 50? Uh, so, yes, yeah, so sort of like you know, 20 yards is a, is a close bird. And, and then the sky's the limit. 
yeah, yeah. I mean, there's birds that, that people sort of open their gun to. I like the idea of having a bigger, so barbie partridge being bigger than red legs, a bigger bird, stronger bird. Yeah, so that they're, they're fierce flyers. It can confuse people early on with lead. Um, when a partridge comes out, they're like, oh, that's much closer than it actually looks. And then they realise that they're, because just because of the size of them. They're, yeah, um, oh, interesting. And how yeah. much bigger are they? But 25% bigger? About the size of a hen pheasant. Okay. Wow. Oh, so they're big. Yeah, yeah. Really they're, they're big. Quite big birds, yeah. And wow. f- with the wing beat of a of a partridge. Yeah, yeah. And they make the full use of going downhill fast as well. George, they're you rapid. Need to, you need to come and uh, come and live I, out here. Well, I think I might <laughs> have okay. some Barbary partridge at home. <laughs> <laughs> Escape from your uh, from your garden <laughs> exactly. you know, enclosure. <laughs> um, so that sounds absolutely amazing. The other thing that we've had a little go at here is um, a bit of fishing in the lake, which we've got behind us. What's in the lake? Because we haven't found anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> so there's um, black bass, uh, which are very similar to sort of the American largemouth. Uh, there's pike, and uh, the lake for a while held the record for the largest carp caught in Africa. How big is the largest carp caught in Africa? Uh, I couldn't tell you the exact number, but I think it's about 70 pounds. It's a big, big old fish. But the black bass, are the you can catch them on the fly, in theory. Yeah, so... Um, if you guarantee you want to catch one, you, you'd use lures. Uh, you'd use uh, yeah, spinners. Um, but if you want to beat yourself up, you can use flies. We're going to give it a go again in about, well, half an hour or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Being given the insider knowledge, Matt's going to take us out and show us how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the question that a lot of people will be asking is, how, how long have you been organizing trips out here? And how did you find out about it? Because a lot of people would not even have thought Morocco was a, an option. So I've been organizing trips out here for six years. Um, and I found out about it by, well, I bumped into the uh, the owner of the shooter uh, at the British shooting show um, and just started having a conversation. He was like, come out. I was very apprehensive about what he was sort of saying his plans were. Um, he said he worked with the Moroccan Tourism Board, runs a big hotel in the mountains and has lots of ground and wants to run a partridge shoot. Uh, come and have a look. Um, took a bit of a risk, came out here, and um, well, now here we are. With and how many teams do you bring out each year? Uh, it varies. So I can't say the last three years have been a bit um, a bit hit and miss, but we aim for for thirty teams. And you accompany each team? Yeah. So you're out here a lot then? Yeah. So I've done. Um, so, so this year I did three months on the trot, and then was back for a little bit, and then did another three months. Crikey! You're home away from home. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's not not a bad place to spend the winter, is it? Yeah, how is the life of an Atlas sporting agent? Um, it, it's it's amazing. It, it can sort of have its toll spending quite a long time away from home, but as soon as you open the blinds and get that view, it kind of all goes away. Yeah, I bet. And so, what? When are you out here? So you're sort of. So uh, I come out early, well, late September, um, and then come back around Christmas time. Normally, sometimes I dip in and out. And then uh, back out again for late January. So in the, the depths of the British winter, when it's there's frost on the ground um, or it's I'm getting a raining, tan, yeah. yeah is, it, is it hot? It's 20 degrees. 20 degrees. But yeah. you were saying earlier that, that at that time of year, there is snow on the hills. Yeah, so you'll see snow in the distance, um, but, but it's 20 degrees in the sun. Um, I mean, we had some days in, in February and March, which were like 35, 40. And I think the thing that I felt that was the p- particularly... Um, different about coming here is that because of the the view across the lake and the sunshine 
It's got quite a beach holiday vibe. Um, yeah, we've both brought our wives with us, haven't we? And yes. they are right now lying by a pool with a cocktail in hand, um, having an absolutely fantastic it's time, I think. definitely my wife's favourite shoot day of all time. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't come out on the, the boar shooting. Naomi did and, uh, and absolutely loved the experience. But she also saw Misha afterwards with a sort of bronzed tan and thought <laughs> I would have equally been happy lying by the pool. So Woodyard's quite unique in that it's tied with a five-star hotel. It sat right in the middle of the estate and all of our teams stay here. Um, it, it's perfect. So we get quite a lot of family groups that come and while the chaps are off shooting, that their wives are by the pool and then they all meet up for lunch. Um, maybe do some clays on the helipad and um, shoot the last drive together and then come back down for, for, for an evening meal. And so apart from... so the, I mean, the hotel is amazing. We need to say that. The food is incredibly generous. Again... Um, really amazing breakfasts. I think one of our party had five omelettes this morning or something like that. <laughs> Are we going to name names? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say he's the one who shot the pig. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's great. and But there's, I mean, you, you're, you're burying the lead here, which is that this hotel has a an absolutely enormous nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's quite extravagant. Um under one of the pools, there was a big, very empty space um, that the owner decided he was going to turn into a nightclub and uh, went all out with lots of disco lights, various projectors and stages and a huge bar. Yeah. And the DJ is all when he's not DJing, he what's his job? So when he's not DJing, he's serving drinks elsewhere in the hotel or helping us on shoot days. <laughs> and it's unbelievably cool. Um so, Matt, I think we've probably got to wrap up pretty shortly because we've got important fishing to do. Um, what other trips have you got coming up? So, um, I'm back out here in July and August, and then we've got some pig shooting in Turkey. Uh, we're going to chase some foxes with eagles in Mongolia. Wow. Goodness me. How, how on earth do you is that a five, Is it a five-star hotel? That's the important thing. <laughs> <laughs> Can I bring my wife? Is that what you're meaning? <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's a yurt in the middle of nowhere. Um, but yeah, so th- we came across that one. Uh, basically, I saw something on the, like the Discovery Channel. I thought that's quite a good idea. Sent a few emails around saying, does anyone know any Mongolian hunters? Who do you email? Uh, <laughs> Mongolia, Some, fr- some friends that have spent, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of, have done a lot of traveling. Info at mongolia.com. All of the guys that, that run the, <laughs> the, um, like the, the the trekking safaris in Mongolia, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, do, do you know any families that we can kind of put some some groups with? Um, I put one post on on Facebook, and it went absolutely crazy. Um, and then I spent quite a bit of time filtering out the uh, the, the, the people that I thought might actually make it. Yeah, what sort of people want to go to catch foxes with eagles in Mongolia? Anybody? Uh, there's a lot of people that are, that are well into horses, and a lot of people that are probably slightly crazy like myself that's one experience that is amazing that's, that's amazing. incredible it's actually now that you mention it i think nathan little said that he was going to go yeah and do so, that so when he, he came yeah, on the he's, podcast he's so on the trip, yeah. that gives you an idea yeah. if you want to get an idea go and listen to the podcast we did with nathan <laughs> <laughs> um amazing. and you spend quite a bit of time in spain as well yeah so uh we work with uh despenadero which is a fantastic sheet just outside of madrid and la camonera which is very similar to this setup in that it's a five-star hotel with a big part of shoot. What Fact. a life, eh? I know. And um, does that mean that when you go back home and shoot, that you're just thinking, where's the hot tub? 
no, it's it's very nice going home and feeling like, oh, this isn't work. <laughs> um, it's actually changed my sort of perception on shooting before I started organising trips. Kind of like felt a little bit like it was work every time I we went out on a day with friends. Uh, now, when I'm shooting in England, it actually feels like it's. Um, you don't run any days in England at all. It's all overseas. We do a few with, with teams that have sort of always booked for us, um, but a majority of it's overseas. Well, I mean, I think we're going to wrap up here. Leave the last line to the uh, the sunset, really. Yeah, <laughs> it's about to dip down behind the ridge, which means we've got to go and go fishing. Um, but Matt, um, uh, one thing that is worrying me is you're obviously going to be a recipient of the highly exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters. Are you? How are you going to wear them? I'm not sure how I'm going to have to... I'm, I'm not sure what the options are, but do you do sort of like anything like I wear with shorts? <laughs> I, think, I, I think a garter with shorts. That'd be phenomenal. Please send us a photo. Yes, we will definitely put that up. Um, great. Well, Matt, uh, it's been an amazing trip um, and it's great to have been able to record this podcast on location. It means that we can justify to our boss coming here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, it's been great. So... Um, I'm going to leave everybody with one final reminder that you can get your own Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters by sending us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com. Send us your shooting quandaries and queries. Send us your unpopular opinions. Let us know which of Matt's many exotic destinations you'd like to visit. Um, Matt, thank you ever so much for joining us and for bringing us out here. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Really incredible experience. Thanks very much for listening and goodbye. (laughs) 